0: So uh, it, was, it was an awesome week. Uh, it, was, it was full, um, and it was, it was moving and meaningful and full in so many ways. And so I was pretty disconnected from the world, and so I've just kind of been catching up with the headlines since I've gotten back in town. Um, and so I've just been reading through them last night. Apparently, um, in the sports world, the Cowboys were good for a week. Um, Unfortunately, it was last week and not this week currently, and so that's over. Um, Also, uh, in the music world, uh, on the Billboard Top 100, uh, which I pay close attention to, coming in at number 32 this week is uh, Baby Shark. And so, apparently, they've been tracking the music usage at my household, where we have um, Baby Shark, uh, Let It Go, and Everything Is Awesome, just on repeats all the time. So if anybody's got a couch that uh, I can come sleep on, (laughs) uh, might need a break for that. Um, So uh, as much as we've been disconnected from the headlines, um, this last week we had an incredible opportunity uh, to draw near to a situation that's been in the headlines, uh, and one that's been on all of our hearts, I know. And so 17 of us travel down to the Rio Grande Valley in the Texas-Mexico border area to learn more about the circumstances and the situation of asylum seekers and immigrants, uh, all of those uh, in the midst of our immigration system. Um, To draw near, to listen and to learn and to witness uh, and to bear witness to the love of God. In those that we met in those situations and and truthfully the experiencing was the experience in that there was life changing and life shaping and so uh today i want to share a little bit with you of what we experienced are we good sweet sweet no, no yes hey what's up all right cool Thank you, Brandy. Um, Thank you, Joanna, and thank you, all of you, for your patience. Um, So, today, as we talk and we share these stories, this is not going to be a political or a partisan discussion because this work is for all of us, truthfully. And it will take all of us in the midst of this. This is a heart discussion. Uh, This is a discussion of, of I think, what is emanating from the heart of God and his people who are seeking to love like God, um, who are created in God's image. It's why our hearts are moved so deeply and why we must pay attention because this is the heart of God um, who calls us beloved and who calls our neighbors beloved as well. And it's that love that moves us and stirs us and calls us to pay attention. And so uh, when scripture, our scriptural story is describing God's heart, this is how it describes the nature of the divine character. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God, this is who God is, is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. That verse is beautiful. It's the heart of God that we're seeking after, full of righteousness and justice and mercy and kindness and attention, a God who calls all people beloved no matter their background. And it's beautiful, and it's, it's right. And from that ethic over and over, come, from that character of God, comes the ethic that we as children of God are called to live into. And so we see that ethic described in places like Leviticus chapter 19. It says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, Do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. You shall love the foreigner as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. You shall love your foreigner as yourself. Because in some way, we're all in this journey together, Scripture says. And this is what stirs us, to love as we would love ourselves. To think, as so many of us have what we would do if we were in the situation of a refugee or an immigrant or if our families were or or if our children were how would i want them to be treated i would want someone to be paying attention to try to learn to see them to advocate on their behalf to see my child as a beloved child of god and to advocate for dignity and justice and humanity and fairness on their journey and so last week, 17 of us headed south to try to do that, to learn and to listen, um, so that among all the other things that we could do, we could come back and share with you um, what we saw. Uh, the bunch that went down there was a wild bunch of folks right there, um, we were ready. We didn't know much about what we were going to experience or what we might learn, but we were ready for the opportunity. We were stoked, and so we hopped in the van full of excitement and headed down towards Brownsville, Texas for 10 hours. <laughs> um, and uh, everybody, I'm pretty sure, was asleep by the time we hit Louisville, because we left pretty early in the morning. Except for me, of course, because I was driving, and safety first, so I, I didn't take a nap till after Dallas. Just got to be safe on those roads. <laughs> so over the course of the week, we traveled to the Rio Grande Valley and into Mexico. We observed in immigration court and in juvenile court and in criminal court. We talked with kids in the midst of detention and, and staff from the centers, talked with immigration lawyers and Homeland Security and the ACLU and countless volunteers and vigil holders and aid workers who were giving of themselves to help in the midst of this situation. And most important of all, we spent time with the people and the families, with the parents and the kids who are caught in a desperate situation. And we heard their stories. We got a chance to share our own. We tried to love as we Love ourselves. In the midst of that, we had moments of grief and moments of joy, moments of silence and moments of celebration, moments that seemed hopeless, but moments where hope broke through all of it, like a beautiful, unstoppable light. And we made friends along the way, too. We made brothers and sisters and siblings. We made laughter and we made joy and we made community. And we made a commitment to come back and be changed, to be more like God's heart. Um, We also made a commitment to be better at Spanish next time we go down there, (laughs) too. So for me, my New Year's resolution is less Hulu, more Duolingo um, with my free time. So uh, there's way more to tell about this experience than we have time. But I want to give you a little bit of an overview of what we learned and about how we saw God at work in the valley. So during the week, as we were reflecting on how... how, how we experience God in the midst of that. We, we remember that in the stories of our faith, there's this way that God shows up, this pattern of the way that God shows up on behalf of the vulnerable. In those moments where divinity intersects history, over and over it begins with this, this refrain of God hearing and seeing the cries of the people, the cries of humanity, and stepping in and stirring the hearts of those gathered around, of all who would listen to respond. And sometimes we see those very same patterns reemerge in our times, and I think we saw that in some ways on our trip. So one of those places where this shows up is the beginning of Exodus, where the Hebrew people are enslaved in Egypt. And God stirs Moses to go to work for liberation for the people. And the message of God spoken to Moses begins like this in Exodus 3 Verse 7, the Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. God hears their cries. God sees. In our trip, we heard some of the cries, I think, of the people as well. Uh, we, the desperation of the situation down there is just about everywhere you turn. Uh, but the specifics of the last few years have made things especially difficult. Uh, So the majority of people, uh, this is a new development over the last years, the majority of people who are crossing the border between the recognized ports right now are families and children uh, at rates five times higher than they were back in 2000. Uh, The total number of crossings is down about four times from that time. And so most of the people who are coming our families and children are unaccompanied minors from Central America, especially from Guatemala and Honduras, who are fleeing violence and exploitation in those places and seeking asylum in the United States. And the laws of our country and the international law says that no matter how you arrive on the shores here, when you reach U.S. soil, you have the legal right to file for asylum. But our system is simply not equipped for the current circumstances of what we are experiencing as a nation. And so the current commissioner of Customs and Border Patrol told the Senate just last month that the current systemic makeup is not compatible with the reality of who is being detained within our system. That We have families and children who are crossing not to hide, but to present themselves for asylum. And recent choices to incarcerate and criminally prosecute immigrants and asylum seekers first before processing their asylum claim. Um, despite the fact that crossing the border without authorization is a f- third-degree misdemeanor, which is about the same as jaywalking, which I do, like, weekly out there on the square, <laughs> um, we, are, we are prosecuting them, and, they, and it's straining the system even further. And, And so you can see the places where the system is sort of straining with the reality of the situation, and and one especially heartbreaking. It's been a decade since a child in custody of Border Patrol has died, and in December there were two. And so there's some things happening that are just overwhelming the system that stands, and God, I think, is hearing the cries. So I and a few others found ourselves um, on Tuesday, in the juvenile immigration courtroom uh, that looks like this, uh, surrounded by 30 young boys and girls, teenagers in this case from Honduras and Guatemala who crossed into the United States seeking asylum as unaccompanied minors. Uh, In the room was a benevolent um, but overwhelmed immigration judge and a small band of amazing selfless pro bono attorneys who were working on behalf of the children. Um, And children who were at this point um, being processed and given forms to request asylum and three months to submit them back to the court. Uh, but they were told, we heard this over and over, that the, the forms are long and they must be filled out in English. And so this is a big hurdle for these kids to experience. And so during one of the recesses, I got a chance to talk with some of the kids um, in my own very rusty Spanish the most I practiced Spanish was just singing Feliz Navidad over Christmas, and so it was like you're cranking some rust off of the gears. And so I asked them in clumsy Spanish, you know, "Cuánto tiempo en detención? You know, How long have you been in detention?" And then they said to me, when it came back, the answer: ocho meses, un año. Eight months, one year that these kids have been in detention. My heart sank. So I was talking to a 15-year-old kid or 16-year-old kid. there's a 14-year-old kid who just turned 14 in the courtroom who'd been in detention for eight months or for one year. And now we're in front of a judge being given paperwork that they had three months to turn in in English. And then we, we learned that it'll take eight months to process that paperwork and decide on their asylum case. And I started doing the math that it'll be two years in this process for some of these 13, 14, 15, 16 year old kids, two years in detention for them, and my heart just broke. And so I asked a question that, that we hear all the time You know, why why didn't you cross at the bridge? Why didn't you cross in an approved way, at a legal point of entry? And they said it's too dangerous that as they approach the bridge, that the cartel has the whole area around the bridge covered. And they come as vulnerable people um, facing exploitation in the midst of that. And so they were led around the cartel to a place where it was safe to cross the river and presented themselves to the immigration authorities as soon as they got across the river. And I asked the attorney, "Is is this the story? And he said, yeah, this is the story we hear. But even if they made it to the bridge, even if they were able to make it to the bridge, the journey for them was not over. And so later in the week, we crossed over into Mexico. uh, And some of us were able to serve a meal and visit with people uh, who were staying in a camp at the base of the bridge, Uh, people from all over the world that was set up by the Mexican authorities because people had no longer been allowed onto the bridge to seek asylum. Maybe one or two people a day are allowed to file for asylum by the U.S. authorities Um, And the rest are waiting for their turn. And I talked with a a deaf young man from Honduras who's been there at the bridge since October 18th. About three months there waiting for his opportunity. And that's life if you make it to the bridge. So back at immigration court, I was sitting with these young boys and girls. As we talked more, I asked them, what do you want Americans to know about your situation? And the boys said, I want you to know that we came with good intentions. Sorry. <laughs> that we came with good intentions. It's not like people say. We came with good intentions for our families to work hard. It's very dangerous in our country. We came with good intentions. Then one of the boys flips the script and he asks me, you know, what do you want us to know about America? <laughs> I didn't know quite what to say about that. I thought about Katy Perry or something. And you know, I was just like, man, I didn't want to speak for you, much less for all of America. Um, but I said, no, I want you to know this, that many of us know that you came with good intentions. And we are so sorry for your situation. We see you. We want to hear you and learn and listen. And we want to help. We are so sorry. That's all I could think to say to these boys who'd been in detention for a year, having fled about 2,000 miles from their home country to reach our shore out of hope and opportunity. When I said that, it got real quiet because there wasn't much we could do in that moment to change anything. And so my next question, of course, was like, so who's your favorite soccer player? (laughs) Just kind of tried to lighten the boat. But I was beginning to hear those cries that I think God is hearing as well. So in Exodus, the story says that that God's talking to Moses. And after God says, I have heard the cries of my people, then God says this in in verse 8. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God draws near. Now, theologically, we know that God is always near in every place, in every life, in every circumstance. But in the midst of suffering, I think in some way, God is especially near. God draws near in those spaces when we can't draw near to God on our own. And in those places, if we have eyes to see, we can catch a glimpse as well, and we did. We saw God manifest in the faces of those with incredible resilience and hope beyond anything I've ever seen before. in those who sacrificed uh, to seek better for their families, those who, who told us stories of danger of, at home or of parents who made impossible choices for them or for their children to send them on this journey. And God was there in their resilience and their hope that was something deep. We saw God in the people who were helping Brownsville and McAllen and Laredo are, are the three poorest cities in the nation. But everywhere you turn, out of those communities, people were helping, serving, offering what they had, helping. The helping operations that are going on there are just astounding and holistic and huge, and it comes from people who have very little, and God was there in that. But most of all, we saw God in the faces of the people that we met. Every time we open our hearts to meet someone as a beloved child of God, we saw the face of Christ in those we met. And we saw clear and convincing evidence that even in the most difficult circumstances that love and joy and hope lives, that God's kind of love and life is stronger and more resilient than even the most difficult situations. So, nowhere did we have the opportunity to see love and life alive more in the faces of our neighbors, more than at this little beautiful place called La Posada Providencia. Uh, it's a transitional housing location for people in the midst of their immigration proceedings uh, that's run by the Sisters of Divine Providence. Uh, and in this case, it was three, like, 80 year old nuns <laughs> who are fierce and fantastic. And when we were there, there were families and individuals from Honduras and Guatemala and Congo and Cameroon and Pakistan and from all over the world who found hospitality and love and strength and solidarity and goodness and hope in these women. And for some of us who grew up Roman Catholic, walking on to this and meeting some nuns was a little bit, uh, there was some trepidation. (laughs) But as you met them, it was also restorative to see the power of people of faith who are living that faith out in action. So our, time got, our team got to spend a lot of time with people there, uh, tutoring English with them, processing food donations, helping expand a playground, um, installing soccer goals that your donations helped provide down there and that our friend Melissa Nielsen uh, helped break in by letting some eight-year-olds beat her like 16 to nothing, right? <laughs> and, um, all for the sake of love, right? Yeah. But it was, it was all for those times that we could sit around and talk and get to know each other, uh, to listen to their story of their journey over thousands of miles, um, hopping on the top of trains and going through the jungle and walking through cities. We could listen and we could laugh. We could connect as humans, as children of God, beloved. We could hear stories of what they loved about their homeland and what they were hoping for and the opportunities to come. And most importantly, that we could gather to play bingo at 3 p.m. with the nuns every single day. You didn't mess with the 3 p.m. bingo time. The life we saw and the stories we heard were tough, um, beyond anything that I will ever know, God willing. But we saw in those things clear and convincing evidence that love is tougher, that joy is resilient, and that through love, that hope is, And faith and love remain, that they endure, and that they can grow. So we learned uh, while we were sitting there with these families that one of the boys, a boy named Abner, who was there with his dad, uh, was turning 18. And so we started planning a birthday party for him on our last day there. Um, It happened also to be Chuck Reeves' birthday as well, uh, one of our team. And so um, it was going to be a big party. Uh, We got a Superman cake, or a a super Ombre cake, uh, as we were told, and then we brought the celebration. Um, And that day, our friend Melissa that I mentioned had the inspired idea to bring a Polaroid instant camera with her. And as she went around, she took pictures of the families together, and she gave them to them to keep. And what an incredible gift that was, to give these families who who left home with nothing, uh, who've been trying to hold on in so many ways to their family and keep them together, a picture that they could hold on to. It was beautiful. Those pictures were markers for them and for us that on this day, despite the journey behind and the journey ahead, that on this day, there is joy that God has drawn near and we know that God is with us. So Abner said later, I just keep looking at the picture of my dad and me. His dad gave a speech at the birthday party um, about their journey, about the difficulty of it, the danger of it, the difficulty at home and the choice to leave, the difficulty of leaving home behind in search of hope for his son. And he said that in his son's 18 years that he's never had a party with cake and a present like the photo. That all of this, he said, was an amazing gift. A gift. That this whole journey that they'd been on, finding hospitality and love and grace and faith through people stepping up and loving their neighbor, was a gift. Because of his courage, but also because of the courage of the sisters of divine providence and all of those who helped along the way, who made all of this, the journey and the reality of the present moment, a gift. And in those spaces of difficulty, what I walk away with amidst the call to act is the confidence of the power of love, especially in the most difficult spaces. That is what love can do. That is what can happen when we let our love be for our neighbor as for ourselves, when we plead the case of the orphan and the foreigner and we seek to follow after the heart of a God who hears the cries and draws near. We follow in the way of a God who can turn a grueling journey into a gift. I couldn't help but think, as I, as I looked at Abner, and I, I looked at Pedro, his father, that months earlier, they would have been right there in immigration court, where we had seen the young boys, or in federal court, uh, afraid and uncertain and detained. But because of their courage, because of those at work for justice and righteousness amidst our institutions, because of of those of compassion and love who reflect the heart of God, on this day I saw in them joy. And that glimpse, for me, was a gift. So uh, Cynthia Reeves, who was on our trip, had a brilliant idea. Let's cap off this birthday celebration the only way you can, by buying a case of silly string. (laughs) She did not ask the nun's permission to do this, I must say, she did ask forgiveness, I think. Uh, they're very forgiving, don't worry. <laughs> we made such good friends during the week there. In some ways, this was the culmination, and I cannot think of a better way to culminate it than with cake and Polaroids and Silly String. Um, even if I got got pretty good amidst the way, I think that's the same friend that scored on you so much in soccer that like, got, me in, got me in Silly String. So I want to show you a video. Um, and I, as we watch this, I want you to remember everything that I've told you about the journey and what the last years and months have been for these friends of ours, everything they've been through. But I also want you to remember the power of God's love in these circumstances, how strong and resilient God's love and life and joy are, that we're told in our scripture story that in all these things, faith and hope and love remain, and that the greatest of these is love. And we live that way, we trust that way, the life that God can bring, and so here's a video. So, here's a video. <it says> <ancestry> oh, eh, Finish! <laughs> Look at that! Huh? <laughs> All right, that's good. I want to wake up every morning with just those sounds of laughter and of joy and of life amidst this. It's beautiful. Uh, I think we also might end every open service with silly string in the future. <laughs> um, what? Do you, okay. Um, I, I saw with my eyes, and as my friend Mike White says, you can't unsee. But what I saw amidst it all was that God is moving in those spaces. At work, even in the most difficult circumstances that God, excuse me, God hears. And that in a special way, God draws near. But that movement of God doesn't stop there. So this, this pattern of God showing up in Exodus, God concludes the message to Moses in this way. The story says, Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God sends us, calls us, into this world. To be people of hope, to be people of liberation, to be people of love and of listening and lamenting and learning and lending ourselves for the sake of justice and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We are sent. So now go, God says, I am sending you. In our group, we felt that call heavy but real but we also felt the courage that we have seen God move through small actions done in great kindness. So uh, Mike White, who's with us and trained as an attorney, he's investigating pro bono work. Others are investigating supply drives and fundraisers and writing letters. We're all committed to calling our elected officials and sharing these stories. And, And part of what I felt called to do was simply to tell the story to you in this place, in the places I go we don't want it to stop there. And so I want to ask you, what is the call that you hear for this circumstance or, or for another area of need that is stirring your heart? In the days and weeks to come, we're going to be discerning that as open. Uh, we'll be going back to the border, certainly, but we'll also be looking for places right here in our area, in the DFW area and in Denton, where we can help. Because this was an amazing, impactful, eye-opening experience. I hope I, can, I conveyed some of that in the midst of this. But most of all, I hope that we walk away feeling compelled, feeling called, and being sent by a God whose love is stronger than anything. Because even just for a week, there's nothing quite like drawing and joining near, and joining in the work of a God who hears who draws near, who is sending us to be a gift. And in that, we find the greatest gift, faith and hope and love and life that is stronger than anything. So may we be people whose heart reflects the heart of God, who hear and draw near and are sent. And may we be people who love our neighbors, wherever they're from, as we love ourselves. And may we be people amidst this world of love, of silly string, (laughs) of celebration, of life, of courage, of hope, and of the hospitality of a God whose arms are open wide. Let's pray together. Gracious, loving God, um, our hearts stir You call us to love our neighbor as ourselves and thank you for saying it that way because it reminds us that we're in this together. That in the faces of those we see, God, we see our mother, our father, our grandparents, our brother, our sister, our children, ourselves. God, as people of faith, God, we are called and compelled to be people of action who walk in love and let our lives be an offering to you for the sake of our neighbors in love and grace. God, we pray for those in the limbo situation of border crossing. We pray for those in Honduras and Guatemala who feel so unsafe that fleeing seems the best option. We pray for those amidst their journey all along the way. We pray for the border patrol and the judges, the lawyers, and all of those who are working the system and trying their best in the midst of it to do what's right. And we pray for for those who are volunteering and holding vigils and offering of themselves. God, in all of them, give them a fresh breath of endurance and of hope. Let them see a glimpse of you in the midst of this. And I pray for us that as we hear, as we draw near, that we would hear clearly your call in our lives to be people of your heart who defend the vulnerable, who protect the parentless, who care for the stranger and the wanderer among us because we are them, beloved children of God, Let us be people of love. We pray this in your name. Amen.